0: Over the past decade, many technology companies have gone private in an attempt to retool their business model outside the scrutiny of public investors. The stated goal of these companies is to re-enter the public domain in three to five years. However, very few have been able to become public companies once again. Is this becoming the impossible dream? I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. In this episode, we will be playing a fireside chat I conducted with Ansa Shakurin, the Chief Customer Officer of Informatica. Informatica is one of the few technology companies that went private and then successfully became a public company once again. In this session, we will discuss key tactics that enabled Informatica. To succeed where so many companies have failed. Enjoy. Today, in this session, I'm very excited to do this, and I'm going to set it up here before I ask you to introduce yourself, Anza. Informatica has done something which very few companies have done. And over the last decade, several tech companies that were public have gone private. And when they went private, it was with the promise that in, hey, three years, four years, tops, five years, we're going to be a public company again. And that was a talk track for every one of these companies. Most of them, the vast majority, have never gone public again. Never. This company did. They were a public company in 99. Then in uh, 2015, they went private. And in 2021, they came back out. And so I it's really a great joy to, to you know talk about that case study. And so with that, onset, just...
1: Set up your role at Informatica, first of all, before we get into the discussion. Thank you for having me, John. You know, just a little bit of background of myself. I joined Informatica in 96 as an engineer in our R&D team. So I've been fortunate enough to be uh, with Informatica for 26 plus years. Having done uh, building products for the first seven years or so, you know, it's the, the impact of making customers realize business value with the technology we developed kind of drew me into the post-sales role. Then I ran support, services, education, and renewals. And now I am the chief customer officer. And we have done a lot over the last uh, many, many years. What I'm most excited is spending some time with you to give you a preview of what we have done in the last six years. Me having been in a startup startup, public, back to private, and now back to, we call it a re-IPO. You know, look forward to chatting with you on the last six years, what Informatica has done. Fantastic. So the first question
0: I I want to put on the table, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, is we write and talk a lot about the financial fish that companies face, and that's one of the reasons that they'll go private is, you know, they they need to retool the business, right? You want to go from on-prem to the cloud. There's investment there. There's friction there. So my first question is how much... Was the financial fish a consideration as as the company was going private? Talk a little bit
1: about the catalyst for initially going private. When we went private in 2015, long-term value creation was the driving motivation Mm -hmm. for us in the field of data management. We knew we had the opportunity to build out the next generation data management product of the cloud. Over the last six years, we have invested more than a billion dollars doing just that. And uh, we have launched the intelligent data management cloud. And for that investment of that scale, going private was the right approach. Mm-hmm. Not only we built the next generation cloud data management product, in the process, we also grew our addressable market fivefold. Mm-hmm. Our addressable market now is north of forty billion dollars, and I have to emphasize the scale of this. It is a multi-year journey. Now, just to give some milestones, you, you highlighted that we went private in twenty fifteen. In twenty seventeen, we started our journey to be a subscription company. We launched our first version, first version of our data management cloud in uh, twenty twenty. We started. Going from license, then subscription, then into the consumption go-to-market. So uh, this is a two-in-one transformation in in some ways. Mm -hmm. Now, then we went IPO in uh, 21. And we now offer a go-to-market, which is cloud-only for the most part. Mm -hmm. Having been in the industry for a long time, I'm sure uh, most of you can uh, relate to the fact building a new category or disrupting a category is very rare. And being able to build it out to a billion dollars is even more rare. And that's exactly what Informatica has done.
0: And so when you, and again, as you go into this journey, you know that there's going to be some big investment required, right, to do, to do that, right, to pivot the business model, to build out the new category. Part of what I heard there is you, you had to clearly maximize revenues from the existing portfolio. You had to make sure you're getting everything you can out of that. Um, what are some of the other tactics that you, you know, levers that you pulled
1: to, again, navigate that financial fish? Any other, any other things that were helpful there? When we went private, uh, Informatica was fortunate uh, that we had our on-prem data management business, which was very profitable, mm-hmm. We were able to leverage that profitability to build out the cloud portfolio and the operating system required mm-hmm. to build out this uh, transformation. Now, to double-click on that, we said we wanted to ensure this maintenance business. We continue to renew that at a very high rate. Mm-hmm. We, we still renew that at, in the mid-90s. Yeah. Uh, we have kept that very steady pivoting to the cloud at making sure we serve value to our customers on the on-prem business with that renew. So that worked out pretty well. Then we ensured that the sales team slowly pivoted to selling the cloud. Uh, we didn't shut down sales of uh, on-prem products. Yep. It was a slow, deliberate, planned transition. Yeah. And then we had to go out to build out the systems, which was the hard part. Now, like I said, I want to give you a preview of what happened behind the scenes the last six years. The systems part, which was a multi-year journey, to build out a system for subscription, which will give all the KPIs for the annual recurring revenue business, Mm -hmm. was very key. What we did very early on, which played a very important role in this transition, was we converged all our post-sales offerings into one. Mm-hmm. So that, that really uh, played out very well as well. So these are the, some of the things we mm-hmm. did uh, to kind of you near know, words, tactics, yeah. uh, navigate through the field. Yeah, so, so again, just playing back to the things I heard, and I think one really important
0: point for folks in the audience that may be facing a business model transformation, and this is something that JB and I worry about a lot, is, is what we call the manana strategy, where you're like, hey, we'll work on that next year, or you know, not right now. But the problem is if you run out of a runway from revenue and margin from the current portfolio, it's harder to fund the transformation and what you articulated there is that was really important to still have runway left right. right with the second thing you put on the table is the fact that it was a controlled burn it was not the adobe model or the autodesk model where hey we're going to you know go really fast into the new business model we're going to basically you know control that pace of change what percentage of customers we want to move over which can absolutely be a winning strategy as well and we've talked we've written about this you don't have to do this business model transformation in a flash And so that's important. The other thing you you put on the table, and you and I talked about this in terms of, because I had asked you beforehand, what was, you know, one of the work streams that was, uh, or, or, you know, one of the things you had to do that took more time and treasure than anticipated and what was harder. And you, you said systems, you know, having the systems to support the new business model. I heard this at, in the executive you know, advisory board meeting on, on Monday. So that is a real um, challenge. I, any specific things as you were getting through the systems
1: knothole that you would recommend people to think about? Well, what were some of the winning approaches there? Some of the business levers we did was, you know, I think I, I like to name maybe four or five, right? I mean, uh, before I uh, get into the systems part of it, one was around sales compensation. Now, we had to ensure the sales team was compensated as they were selling both on-prem and cloud products, mm-hmm. right? So we, we had a mixed model business. And were you but, equally, you they could sell either one and they were equally compensated, or did you have a, a preference on one? Yeah, so we kind of started uh, juicing up compensation more for the cloud over time. So that kind of gave a natural shift. It also helped us manage the investment to fund some of the cloud portfolio as well. Yeah. And uh, secondly, the shift in R&D spending. Like I said, our our goal was to preserve the renewal rates and to make sure customers continue to realize value for the on-prem portfolio. How do you shift the R&D spending so that you balance both those objectives? Yeah. And third is obviously uh, the, the systems. You, know, you How do you build out the systems which uh, will give an end-to-end view And, uh, you know, we we didn't have a true subscription management system. Right, right. Net new business was disconnected from renewals. So in 2016, Informatica, you know, as with most enterprise companies, do a lot of business north of 80% from existing customers, you know. goes back to the land and expand portfolio. Those days selling to an existing customer on subscription, we had to do a credit and rebill of the new business to even make it work because the systems were disconnected. And uh, we had four different systems handling renewals. Wow, geez. You know, how do you bring them all together so that we can amend the contracts and co-turn them that 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 was part of the multi-year uh, journey we talked about. That. Yeah, and the and, and, and again in terms of just time from when you, that
0: you started that journey to say we we've, we've got to redo these systems to re, you got to the point where you really were you know comfortable and the systems were supporting the new business model. You know, I know that that was in quarters. I know it's years, but just rough length, how long does that take? Three plus years.
1: Yeah, yeah. this was definitely uh, three plus years. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I. You know, I hear so many of of our members say, "You know talk about this challenge, and they're like, "Well, you don't understand you know how bad our systems are, right? They kind of always start with that, that that you know we're really, really have problems here. I was talking to a member yesterday and they said, Thomas, we can't even track the difference between new revenue and renewal revenue at all. It's just <laughs> revenue in our company, right? But I would assert that, I, you're in the same boat as everybody else. I mean, you, you guys had none of the, you know, the, the capabilities you needed, but you've got to get on the journey. You've got to start chipping on that. And it's going to take multiple years, and it's going to take time and time, you know treasure.
1: And a couple of other things I want to highlight. By design, we decided we're going to do annual upfront contracts mm-hmm. as opposed to doing monthly billing. This helped us to uh, mitigate the cash flow impact. Yeah. You know, when we offered our products for subscription, we, we pushed and, uh, for uh, two-year contracts. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it, that, that was very key uh, for us to keep that. Yeah. You know, you talk about the fish. How do you – is it flatten? Right. How do you flatten
0: the fish? How do you flatten the fish? And, and for those of you that aren't familiar with this particular move, and we published a paper on this. It's called Swallowing Half the Fish. And, and, and what you're articulating, we're seeing you know, more and more software companies do – which is not a bad move is you have all these on-prem customers and you flip them to a subscription pricing model. And like you said, and and you get them annual upfront, you can bring cash in to help fund. But, but I just published uh, an article called the ARR trap. What you have to be careful is, you know, you're going to suddenly have all of this ARR annual recurring revenue because you flipped everybody to subscription. That's great. If you're a public company and you're talking to the street, they're excited. You're pointing to this ARR, but you still have to swallow the second half of the fish, which is you have to move those on-prem customers to true cloud. And what you're seeing is some software companies weren't doing what you're, you were doing, is you were taking that money and you're, you're building the cloud, building the cloud, getting the capabilities so you can move customers there, right? Some people are, are sitting on top of that ARR and they don't want to make that investment, and they're saying, look, I'm a, I'm a subscription business. Everything's good. And meanwhile, their data technology, on-prem, they're falling behind. Now they have to invest. And so now OI starts going down. Now an investor starts saying, well, wait a minute, what's going on? So if you swallow half the fish and you ch- just change the pricing model, you got to jump on it in terms of the
1: investment piece of it. I, I said that earlier. You, know, you, you heard uh, JB talk about uh, yesterday. That is definitely an opportunity to monetize the services part of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we launched uh, this cloud portfolio, we brought all of our service offerings, rationalized them, we had uh, offerings based on functions, professional services, customer support, education. we rationalized them to one paid offering, yeah we were offering seventeen different flavors before, yeah yeah, uh, we brought them. Uh, consolidated them into one. Yeah. One common theme uh, which is very important for any company going through a transformation is simplification. Mm-hmm. Bringing all these flavors into one and compensating the field to sell it was definitely a big value creation for yeah. yeah. And it definitely helped us to fund the investment and make the transformation to subscription as well. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about organizational structure, and, and this is an important theme around simplification, right? And so what you said there, which is really critical, again, if you're going through a business model transformation, and you have you know, professional services and education services and customer success and support and all this stuff, trying to operate this, you know, completely separately as you build this thing out, what you said is, a, we're going to rationalize the offers. We're not going to have everybody flinging all this stuff around. We've got to simplify that. And we are going to basically what we call services convergence. We're going to bring these organizations together. So talk a little bit about, about that. I just bringing everybody into, you know, sort of the big C customer success posture.
1: You know, as we went through this transformation from a company perspective, this was a transformation at the company level. It was not just the post sales functions going on a transformation, mm-hmm. although they had an important role to play. We had, the entire company in a transformation zone. And that served us two purposes. One, as we were offering mixed model, both on-prem and the cloud portfolio, it, it helped us to manage the, the financial aspect of it. Two, it helped us align our strategy and vision of our transformation to subscription to customers' interests as well. Mm-hmm. So, this definitely helped us to accelerate our uh, subscription business model. I'll kind of share the numbers towards the end. So, now we have a best-in-class cloud portfolio for data management. As we bring up new services on this portfolio, we are, uh, you know, what you refer in your paper called uh, Dispersed incubation. Mm-hmm. We are trying out uh, product-led growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are trying out a few other flavors yeah. as well. Yeah. Now, on the post-sales side, like I said, we had to align all the functions into one. Yeah. And with with the singular purpose of driving value and outcome for our customers, that, that's what uh, we did in the process as well. And, then, and I've heard you speak before, sort of
0: that pivot from a service mentality to a success mentality, right? And with that, and talk a little bit... Was there a lot of angst or gnashing of teeth from those different organizations when they came together or, did, or, or, were, or were people realized that, hey, this is the right move? What do you think the temperature was of the organization when you initially made that pivot from service to success and brought all those functions?
1: Now, just taking it a step further from a company perspective, this is an end-to-end transformation. Mm-hmm. right? It starts with products, go-to-market pricing and packaging, customer success, and the back office functions, Mm -hmm. IT, finance, legal. This is a complete end-to-end transformation. Now, like I said, when we started this transformation, we didn't have a subscription management system. Mm -hmm. Now, sitting back and uh, thinking what we have done in the last six years, we have better appreciation of what we have done, as opposed to looking at it on a day-to-day basis. You really don't see the magnitude yeah. of what we have done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't see the scars on my back on the scars on my team's mm-hmm. back. Yeah. But uh, it it was a hard journey. And to the extent, sometimes it feels like ERP, implementation of an ERP system is easier than code to cache. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you make, you talked about the systems, right? Making the transition to go from the old model to new model it's hard. The, the gravity in the old model will bring you back to the old ways because that's one which is paying the bills. Yeah, yeah. You cannot just, what we learned is you cannot build your way through from the old model to the new model. Mm-hmm. You, you have to redesign it from scratch. And one other thing which Informatica did is we went all cloud within the enterprise as well. Today we do not have a singular on-prem system in the company. Mm-hmm. For a mid-sized company, we have a number of systems. Yeah. Uh, setting up a cloud system is easy, but being in a position to unlock the value of the data is very, very critical. Mm-hmm. And so having a data management strategy is is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing for us, we know of a company <laughs> which has best in class yeah. to do that exactly what we did. So the 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 lesson there was you have to measure and report what matters. Mm-hmm. When you report, you know what you can improve. Yep. And when you improve, that drives growth. So that reflected in the rapid growth of the subscription business. The next one is when you have a cloud portfolio, every interaction you have with the customer is recorded. Yeah, yeah. That telemetry. Today, we process about 38 trillion transactions. Being able to take that data and couple it with our back-office systems, we were able to unlock a lot of opportunities to upscale our customer experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you heard JB talk about, you know, his TSA has talked about layer for a number of years. You have introduced AP now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I'll give you one example. So Analytics and placement is, is something... You know, uh, today when we can close a deal in a matter of hours, we can predict the propensity of the deal to renew Mm -hmm. with about 80% accuracy using AI. Wow. And uh, he talked about warm leads. So this, what we call a deal grade, is now handed off to the CSM team so they know what playbook to run.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mean that's fantastic. And, And again, just playing back... The things to really be thinking about. So A, I'm changing my systems. I'm getting into more of a cloud posture as I'm doing that. But unless I am really leveraging the data in those systems, it doesn't set me up, you know, for for really the full value. And what is that full value? It is using analytics to basically really be much more sophisticated. That
1: gives you scale.
0: And be way more sophisticated about what revenue you're chasing, how, you know, how, you know, that, how good that revenue is going to be, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's I think that's important. And, again, that is the future of how we're going to manage these businesses. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Um, I definitely want to click into customer success because I know that, you know, you're passionate about that, and, and like many companies, you know, it becomes a new capability that you have to nurture. So first question I have on that is, you know, as you're going through this journey, roughly when did you establish
1: customer success? I think we incubated that function in 2015. Okay. Uh, we had So right when you were going, same year, you were going private? Just around that time. Okay. You know? Maybe a year prior to that. Okay. It was segmented just for our cloud portfolio where we had uh, base data management capabilities okay. for uh, application integration. So you wrapped it around the newer offers. You know? Just it was most on an incubation kind of a phase. Yep. It was not uh, mainstream. Mm-hmm. And uh, subsequently, when we decided to go through a business model change to subscription, we didn't have to make a strong case for investment, which I still do, by the way. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the need, given that we are an enterprise complex product, you know, definitely the need for customer success to orchestrate the technical journey mm-hmm. for customers to realize value was pretty evident. Yep. and we started scaling out that function. Now in the grand scheme of things, as Informatica pivoted from a license model to a ratable subscription model, within the world of customer success, we went through a transformation of our own. Mm -hmm. And the the first one was unification of services, I talked We were organized more functionally. We unified all the services and uh, that was one big leg of that stool. Second is, we had a great self-service platform. We embarked on a journey to bring in AI ML, to make it truly digital with uh, AI-powered. That was the second uh, stool of the journey. And third is, in, in my capacity as a chief customer officer, I'm also a uh, responsible for renewals. Mm-hmm. What we evolved that function. To move towards adoption and expansion as well yep. so today that the customer' success and the renewal team play a very different role in not only driving adoption but also to look for opportunities around expansion as well mm-hmm. and that was the perfect setup as we moved into the consumption go to market so again, playing back
0: so incubated around the initial cloud offers,
1: as you go to more subscription.
0: You put more investment in, in CS-type resources because you want to make sure that these are going to renew. And then this big digital lever. So you're saying AI and self-service and, and that. So the customers, but you can drive adoption through the self-service and AI itself. Okay, fantastic. And then the commercials piece of it. So you have renewal specialists who, own, who just focus on the renewal and the CSM next to them, the CSM driving adoption. Or does the CSM sometimes
1: have commercial responsibility? What's the relationship between those two capabilities? As we are uh, re- redefining the model in the world of consumption. we mm-hmm. are differently looking at CSM own yep. the sacred nrR metric yeah 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 jointly with sales yeah okay so so sales
0: still has some some uh, involvement in some compensation around making sure that the renewal happens.
1: that's that's the direction we are okay heading towards yeah now uh, the the renewals team does programmatic Uh, and uh, more lead-oriented, upsell at time of renewal. Mm -hmm. Now we have incubated a separate expansion team, which does it outside of renewal. So that was my my next follow-up question. On the expansion
0: responsibilities, is that within the customer success organization that they're focused on helping to identify,
1: not sales, but in customer success? But they do closely partner with sales. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And the sales compensation model is the sales team still gets paid on that as well. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Those are some of the levers. We'll have yeah. to see how it evolves down the, down the road.
0: And it, the expansion focus is is it the the primary CSM that now has will have that charter. Or is it a specialist, an expansion specialist that's part of customer specialists? Currently it's an expansion specialist. It is. Okay, oh interesting. Okay. So they're and they're working with the CSM and Correct. around the account. Okay. What I mean sorry, I'm gonna throw them a couple curveballs here. So so I'm curious, the um, as you describe that landscape, what is your thoughts on the future of, of, of this customer success skill set? Because one thing that I'm hearing, and you're the perfect guy to ask this, because this is the chair you're sitting in, right? You gotta navigate this. Is, you know, we, we go, we're going from a world where CS was absolutely focused on adoption, right? And there's a skill set there. Um, and now we're going more and more into a world where a CSM does need more what I will call, uh, you know, sales type skills. But, and I've, you know, had this discussion, it's a different type of selling. It's process driven, it's data driven, right? It's, it's selling won't help, help, you know, helping will, will sell. And so it's, it's a different it's not a traditional account executive skill set. So, so what, do you, what do you see as the future profile of of the, uh, of the skills in the customer success organization?
1: What's that look like? Is your hire? Entire... Good question, Thomas. You know, um, in the world of consumption, one could say that the role of sales and customer success, the lines are very blurred.: Yeah, yeah one of the main uh, initiatives we have for 2023 is what is the operating model between sales, customer success and products Mm -hmm. in the world of consumption. As you can imagine, you know, transformation projects at this scale, the success of it is dependent on having executive alignment and support. Mm -hmm. I think to your question, the question before the leadership team is how do you make that cultural shift so the company operates with the consumption mindset? So what is that definition of that mindset?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is the role of CS in that? Some of our products are complex. There's a school of thought we need to have technical folks. There's a school of thought we need to have folks who can sell. Mm-hmm. So we're trying out both. Yeah. And in the, in the world of CSS, well, we do have specialists, you know, uh, who can, uh, it's just not the technology, right? Yeah. I think uh, what, what we try to say is how do you, CS orchestrates orchestrate a journey of how hmm. do you bring the uh, promise of technology, which maps to customers' outcomes? No. You know, it, it is, it is a hard job. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is, you know, there's no one size yeah, fits all yeah. answer here.
0: Yeah, and and so I mean, uh, but I I think that, you know, we really are going to see an evolution of the skill set that exists in the CS organization, you know, more, um, you know, as people talk about sort of the consultative skills that you would see in PS, you know, more project management type of skills. Um, But again, it's not going to be the traditional sales profile that, you know, that's going to, I think, be a winner there. Um, It was interesting in one of the breakouts yesterday, I I heard the CRO from Gainsight uh, talking a little bit about this, you know, this who owns the customer problem, right? Like he said, we've, we, have to, we have to rethink this handshake between sales and customer success. And so he said, you know, we have, you know, everyone has this debate, who owns the customer? Is it the sales executive? Is it now the CSM? And he said at Gainsight, he said exactly what we say at TSIA, and that is the, the Gainsight owns the customer and the process owns the customer. Right. And so that, I think, is the winning mentality for companies is is they're figuring out these engagement models between the two. If you're debating, wait, 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 who's who is the primary owner? That's the wrong debate. It should really be, you know, you know, the company (laughs) owns the the customer and we're going to have we are trying to engineer the best, most effective customer engagement
1: process. Right. To to, to work that. You know, so that that is that goes back to what I highlighted earlier as the consumption mindset. Right. So in the world of post-sales, you know, uh, our orchestration was what uh, we kind of, even that was a, a multi-year journey. Mm-hmm. And in phase one, we kind of uh, unified the services. We embarked on the digital experience path. Phase two was, we now have a framework, what we call a purchase to value. Mm-hmm. To your point of uh, who owns the customer. Who's responsible for taking the customer from the time they make a purchase till the time I realize the value? There are multiple functions right. within Informatica which have to play a role. Right. So we have a framework on it. We have a framework that does take time to align all the functions to play their role in, in that journey. Yeah. Now the phase three of it which we are on today is in the world of conception, how, how things change. Yeah. As we went through this transformation We did something for the world of consumption. We now offer a simplified pricing, what we call as the Informatica processing units.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Customers could buy Informatica processing units and similar to your subscription credits in TSI, Mm -hmm. and they could avail any of the services we offer on the IDMC, Mm -hmm. data management cloud platform. Now... As sales teams make a land investment and sell IPUs, there are going to be times they're going to size it right. There are going to be times where we could oversell. Yeah. And in the scenarios where we sell more, mm-hmm. if customers want to try a new service, there is an emerging need of a pre-sales consultant in post-sales as well.
0: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
1: Whose job is it? Mm-hmm. Do the CSAs in the CS world do it to maintain customer continuum? Do we bring pre-sales back? Mm-hmm. They're not going to get comped. The sale has already been made. Yeah, yeah. That's the phase three we are on now.
0: And the callus there again is this, uh, this ongoing journey, right? Now there's this pivot from just subscription to actual consumption-based, and now we've got to make sure that the consumption is actually
1: happening. Right. Yeah. So so it yeah. creates a new set of issues. Yeah. And in the world of services. You know, um, you know, we're part of the professional services board. Uh, Randy was on my team. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to see how we can offer our service offerings on consumption basis. Mm-hmm. These service offerings are all outcome-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, architecture reviews, first value packages. That's the transformation on the post-sale side as well. Yeah. And in, in your point of view in terms of
0: consumption-based pricing, because we are now witnessing a lot of software companies raising their hand and saying, I, I want to do that, right? And the underlying catalyst, right, is if it's per-user pricing, and, and let's say that, you know, you have your Salesforce and you have a sell to somebody who has 100 salespeople and, and all of them have, a, you know, a, a subscription, then you're done, right? There's no more revenue there. And the hope is if I go to consumption-based pricing, I can actually. There, there might be more revenue there, right? So people are, are very excited about it. First question is: I mean, do you think that is going to be the future of software type pricing? That, you'll, that that will be
1: very very common for people to go to consumption based pricing, or is it going to be an edge case? The fundamental premise is all about driving value. Mm-hmm. You know, driving value. Continue to innovate your product portfolio. Mm-hmm. Is is going to be has to be a constant. Yeah. You know, and uh, then a lot of stuff is beyond our control, the macro and all that stuff, right? But I think the world of consumption is here to say, customers want that flexibility. Yeah, yeah. Customers, gone are the days where you make upfront investments and they are locked into fixed units of our products. Yeah. They, want, they want that flexibility uh, to go from, uh, to use multiple services. Yeah, You know, you know that, I think product innovation is key having offerings around which accelerates outcome mm-hmm. and adoption is key. And if done perfectly, it does reduce the need for having to trigger a new sales process every time a customer is interested in a service. Yeah. yeah. You know, that That is key. You know, you heard uh, JB touch on it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to embark on a new sales process end to end, from discovery to close, for yep. every time customer wants to consume a service, yeah. we're not going to be able to scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said a very important thing there in terms of the focus around
0: value. So even if it's consumption based pricing, you've got to be anchoring that consumption around some type of value conversation. Correct. And it's and it's interesting because I have talked to members who have been on, have consumption based models for a while, and they and 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 quickly the customer. Starts asking that question. I go, okay, yeah, I'm consuming. And maybe I'm consuming more because my bill's gone up. But what's the value? You know, so you've got to be ready to connect that. It's, the win is not just to get customers to, you know, into a consumption model. You have to ultimately be
1: anchored on value. All the more highlights that the role of customer success in the world of consumption yep. is even bigger than in the role of world of subscription.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's even bigger. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and
0: I, I, keep, you know, one word you've used several times, uh, in this discussion is we, we had to simplify. We had to simplify this. We had to simplify that. And, you know, in the last book, we make this assertion that complexity kills, right? So, I mean, I think that, you know, you, to get the models to work, <laughs> they cannot be overly complex, whether it's the pricing model, whether it's, you know, whatever. I mean, you, you really do have to be working hard to, to, to ring that
1: out. As much as you have the operational complexity, systems, product innovation, you know, uh, th- these are uh, work streams which are hard. The, the thing which I'm sure the other leaders at in Informatica will agree, which took a lot longer time uh, than we anticipated, was uh, change management. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All the more highlights the importance of simplicity. Yeah as as the company was growing you have a number of new people coming in mm-hmm. like you said they're they're joining us at a point in time in the transformation you know how do you do change management mm-hmm. especially when you are changing the product portfolio from on prem to cloud yeah you're changing the go to market from license to subscription to consumption yeah change management is hard yeah and to in the context of this mixed mode it is, is very key. I was pretty fortunate to have a f- fabulous team which had the strategy right, which was executing well and which is still executing very well. My job was just to remove roadblocks yeah, right. and to burst the resistance pockets. Yeah. That's all my job was. Yeah.
0: Which is critical, you know, in, again, when you have this much change going on, and you're aware we wrote this paper on the seven work streams of as-a-service transformation, and you and I were having this conversation so if we just kind of as we close here bring back the lens the order of magnitude of this change you talked about we had a we had a work stream around systems we had a work stream around offer rationalization we had a work stream around organizational structure we have a work stream around the sales and, and service handshake I mean how many work streams do you think were in play over and again a, over a multi year period just to help people understand
1: you know how much was was going on I think we definitely had a Workstream around building our cloud portfolio, mm-hmm. and then uh, we had a workstream around sales. Mm-hmm. We had built out sales specialists when we were launching our crowd products, mm-hmm. which were augmenting the sales team. Initial delivery, initial delivery was the team in post sales. Mm-hmm. How do you double down and maniacally focus on driving value for customers? Mm-hmm. Engagement models, adoption models—that yeah. yeah. was key, and then building out all the systems around integrating all the touch points yeah so those were, those were uh, those i think there are four to five uh, work streams.
0: yeah so, um, so so we actually I'm excited Informatica agreed to collaborate on a on a white paper about this journey and it's going to be available it's released today everybody in the audience can get it and some of the things that we talked about here today are in there and some more details um, and you know, your entire executive team participated and reviewed it. So I'm, I'm just very grateful that they uh, put that on the table for everybody out there that's going through it because it is a, the real deal. <laughs> I mean, and it is a proven, you know, this is a success story. And again, we have not seen this very often companies being able to go private and come back out the, the way that you Maybe guys we can did. share a few data points. Yeah. Let's,
1: let's hear it. Yeah. I, guess I was saving the best for the last, you know, reflecting on the last six years. Like I said, uh, to create a category is rare, but to achieve a billion dollars is even more rare. When we went uh, private in 2015, a subscription revenue was less than $100 million. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm, we're very proud as a company. We are very close to a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So we have ARR growing you know, based on our uh, last quarterly financial results. We have our ARR growing at about 16%. Mm-hmm. Our subscription ARR growing about 30%. And most importantly, our uh, cloud ARR growing 42%. Wow,
0: fantastic. there's a lot opportunity of work to get there. To sit
1: down with you yeah. <laughs> and kind of reflect back on that. It dawned on me. We have done a lot as a company. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, the job is not done. We still have unfinished business. Yeah. How do you continue this momentum in the world of consumption? Maybe you will have me back in a few years. Yeah, that would be great. great. Well, I, I would say congratulations on where you are on the journey right now. You, you,
0: I think you should feel feel good. And again, I'm I'm very grateful that you're willing to share the experience with the broader community here because they can really benefit from the, from the case study. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Thomas.